So today, today in our Advent, uh, we celebrate the birth of Christ. We, we celebrate that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is amazing. This is, this is, this is an amazing story. This is an amazing truth that God became flesh. And so, you know, John says it best. John, who, you know, is, he describes, John describes himself in the Gospel of John that he wrote as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because, you know, and you think, well, that's pretty arrogant. No, he understood it. He understood that he was loved by God. He understood the truth of how much God cared for him, how much God loved him. So John writes so eloquently in the first chapter of John. It's so amazing when you think that this guy, when he was called by the Sea of Galilee, was a fisherman. And he writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, which seems to be confusing. Is the Word God, or is the Word with God? And the answer is yes. (laughs) Because Jesus is the Word, and Jesus is distinct in personality from God the Father, but God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they are one. And is that confusing? Yeah. Because it's, it's beyond our ability to comprehend it, that these three personalities are one. But it's, what it's saying is that, that he's not a God. This is important because uh, both the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness, not to attack them, but this is where they deviate and that they, they take the deity away from Christ. They say that Jesus is not God, he is a God. And so they change this here, and so that, that where it appears that, they change the translation, they deviate from what it says to make it appear that, not, that he's not God, but a God. So Jesus is God. Jesus existed with God. He, he did not attain it. Jesus didn't become God. Through his obedience, through his sinless life, through his death on the cross, those were things that he did in his life, in his flesh. But Jesus is God. Jesus came in the flesh, Jesus is God. But before he was flesh, before he became flesh, became a baby in a manger, he was God. And he was with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. All that's not God... All that is not God, everything that exists outside of the Godhead, everything that was created was created by the Word. 
every, everything in heaven, everything in earth, everything that we view in the universe, it was all created by the Word of God, by God, who is the Word of God. Because He's the creator of all things, He is not created. He has created all things. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. It is by His Word, by the Word of the Word, that all things were created and exist. Everything that exists outside of the Godhead was created by Jesus, the Word. Then it says, in Him was life, verse 4, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. All of life originates in the Word. His life brings light. John 3.3, Jesus said this to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say unto you, no one, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We have two problems before we come to God, is that we're dead in our sins and we're blind to God. Jesus came so that he could give us life. He could, in a sense, raise us from spiritual death to spiritual life, and that at the same time, he could awaken to us the kingdom of God. We would become alive and we would see the kingdom. I don't know if you remember before you came to Christ, but before you came to Christ, you couldn't see what you couldn't see. You didn't know what you didn't know. <laughs> but when Christ came into your life, he brought both life and light. So that the word of God, which before, and that's not to say that the word is never difficult to understand, but it began in your life, I'm sure the unfolding of understanding the Word of God is never before. It's hard to understand the Word of God until you have the light of the Word of God to shine in your life to help you understand it. Then here John talks about the witness of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one who went before to prepare the way. John's role was to prepare the way for the Messiah. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even of those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then we get to this. This is a great verse. 
And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is, now, this is amazing. This is, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is, this is the, the greatest story ever told. This, this is an amazing truth that the Word who created all things, the one who created all things, who everything that exists outside of God was created by the Word. So everything that is created was created by Him. The one who created all things became a part of His creation. And in this, in this amazing thing, the Word who is God, fully God, became a man, fully man. So Jesus, who is God, becomes a man. So he is at once, he is both fully God and fully man. The word dwelt, it says he dwelt among us. This word is used a lot of times to refer to pitching a tent. To, to pitch a tent. It's, it's interesting that Jesus pitched the tent of humanity. That he put on humanity. It wasn't, it wasn't just a, you know, it wasn't just an outward show, but he was fully humanity. He pitched his tent with humanity. And, you know, he could have come to a palace, but he pitched a tent. He clothed himself in the tent of his humanity. Philippians, Paul says it this way in Philippians. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the creator of all things becomes the created and he, and he humbles himself to the point that he allows himself to die on the cross for our sins. So why is this necessary? Why did Jesus have to become flesh? Why is it important? There's a couple of things. First of all, he came because his number, the one, number one reason that Jesus came is that he came to save us from our sins. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Matthew 1.20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, this is to Joseph, in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the reason Jesus came, the re reason Jesus, God, a very God, entered humanity and became a human is so that he could save you and I from our sins. And the method of his salvation 
is that he died for us. The method of salvation is that he became the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, that he became the perfect sacrifice. He's the only one that could do it because he's the only one that's been perfect. He's the only perfect human that could offer himself as a sacrifice, but we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone, which means that this changes the picture for every believer, because Jesus died our death. Jesus, if you're in Christ, Jesus died your death. He tasted your death. He took the sting of death. So in the moment of death, as your physical body is wasting away, your spiritual man is made new in Christ. And you step into the glory and the presence of God. For it was fitting for him from whom are all things, again, who created all things, and through whom are all things, they're for him and they're from him, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Now, I want you to be careful. When you read that, it looks like, wait a minute, he wasn't perfect and he had to suffer to be made perfect. Couldn't you read that into that? That to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. It wasn't that he was less than perfect and had to become perfect, but the word perfect, think of it as meaning also complete. The only way that he could complete the work of salvation was through suffering. He completed the work that to complete their salvation through suffering. Our salvation could not be complete until he died. Our salvation was not complete until he was on a cross. And this is why it's so important that God became flesh because unless God became flesh, he couldn't have died. It was his, he had to come in the flesh so that he could die in our place. He had to come in the flesh so that he could take our death and give us salvation. He came in the flesh so that he could suffer and be a faithful high priest on our behalf who understands our struggles with both sin and life. Hebrews 12, Hebrews 2, 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's payment. So he, Christ is the payment. He is the payment for our sins. For since he himself was tempted in which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So in his flesh, just like you and I, he faced temptation. But unlike you and I, he was victorious over it every time. 
He was tempted like we are, but without sin. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. Because he came in the flesh, he can be a faithful high priest who understands your struggle. He suffered. He didn't come and sit on a throne. He came and died. When he comes back, he'll sit on a throne. But when he came, he came to die in our place and to understand our struggles so that when you struggle and you say, Jesus, this is so hard. This is a horrible week. Jesus says, I know. I've had some tough weeks too. That last one was a doozy. He knows what we're made of. He understands our struggle. He's been through it. He's been tempted. He's now, now is at the right end of the Father making intercession for us, praying for us. He's a faithful high priest that when we're in the midst of our struggles, he's praying on our behalf. I don't know if you could have anybody else better praying for you. I've had some great people praying for me, but the greatest person you could ever have pray for you is the Son of God seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession and understanding the struggle because he's a faithful high priest. And he had to come and die because he had to come in the flesh because he had to be resurrected. Paul said to the Corinthians, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who were asleep. So he's saying that everyone who has died in Christ, all of those who are in Christ, who are asleep in Christ, Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. For since by a man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are at Christ, who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God and the Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. Here's an interesting thing about this. Jesus, in coming as a baby, put on his humanity, he put on our humanity, and he's never taken it off. Jesus came in the flesh, and he became a human, and it wasn't just a 33-year stint. He's still fully human in eternity. Think about it. After the resurrection, Jesus walked around in a transformed body. But it was a body. So the other disciples were saying to him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said, unless I see his hands and the imprint of the nails 
and I put my finger to the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. And they said, whoa, what? You know, can you imagine? They're all locked in, the doors are shut, and Jesus appears in the room. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here with your hand and put it into my side. So the wounds that he had from Calvary, he still has them, right? Apparently, but he's not sitting there bleeding to death because something's happened. He's, he's been transformed. He's ascended to the Father. Now he's got a resurrected body. He's got a, a different kind of body that he had before. He had a mortal body, but now he has an immortal body. And he is the first fruits of the body that we will receive in Christ. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, my Savior and God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. Then when Jesus ascended to the Father, he took that body to heaven. He took that resurrected, transformed body to heaven. And after he had said these things, Acts one. He was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Because Jesus just went up there. Uh, This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. When Jesus returns, he's going to return in the same recognizable transformed body that he went to heaven in. So Jesus is the first fruits. When we die and are resurrected or at the coming of the Lord and we're changed, we will be given a resurrection body. We'll be given an immortal body. Philippians, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble estate into the conformity with the body of his glory. By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Jesus in eternity is fully God and fully human. And in eternity, you will be fully transformed into his likeness by the power of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians, for this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. So we're going to get the same kind of body, the same kind of resurrected body, transformed body, eternal body. We have to be made for eternity, right? So we get the same kind of body that Jesus has. We're changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And then Jesus came in the flesh really 
to show us what God is like. Jesus came to reveal to us the Father. John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained them. Because God is spirit and exists in eternity, there's no way for us to know him on our own. Because God is spirit and exists eternally, even though he created the earth by by seeing the earth and it's, that it's created, that it has a beginning, that it has purpose, that it has beauty, it would seem to appear that there is something that started it. Now, you know, people would say, you know, scientists will say that the earth, that there is now the, now the newest theory of how the earth began is multiverses. There is an unlimited number of universes that are totally unobservable and unprovable. It takes much more faith to believe in a scientific idea that a multiverse is the way everything got started than to believe that there is a creator who exists outside of time and who created everything that we see. It takes much more faith than to what we believe. That God said, let there be light. And there was. But because God exists in eternity, God is not limited to time. He created time Again, you know, eternity is not a long time. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around eternity because eternity is not a million years. That's time. God's not limited by time. God exists outside of time. So since God exists outside of time, he exists outside of this creation, he permeates everything. He holds all this together by the word of his power It exists because of him, but there's no way to know him unless he reveals himself. So how do we know, what do we know what God is like? We know what he's like because he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Grace and truth are revealed through Jesus Christ. We we have the revelation of the nature of God. What's, What's God like? Well, he came to show us. That he was full of compassion. He came to show us that he loved sinners. He came to show us that he that he was willing to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, that he was willing to lay his life down to give us an accurate picture of what God is like. So when we go to God, we have in Christ an accurate picture because we've seen God because we've seen the Son. Because we've seen the Son, we know what God is like. So as we read the pages of the New Testament and we 
we read about the works of Christ and what he did and how he healed the sick and how he helped the poor and all that he did. We're getting a picture of the love and grace and mercy of God and how he lavishes grace upon us. And then we get in Passion Week. We get him laying down his life for us, for our salvation, so that we could be incredibly, not just see him, but know him. And through his work, be brought into his family. We see a God who desires to bring us, his children, into his family eternally. Jesus came to explain to us the Father. So when we hear a baby cry in Bethlehem, those cries that night in a little dirty stall, maybe a cave, maybe a little barn, we don't know, in the little town of Bethlehem. And as fully God and fully man, this, this baby, helpless babe, breaks into the scene. And just like every other baby, his cries begin to pierce the night. That cry was something different. Because that was the beginning of a cry that Jesus began to say. It was the beginning of a call where Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That cry in the night was an invitation from the Savior that as many as received him To them gave he power to become the sons of God. That cry of the baby was a great invitation to become a son of God. One catch. To as many as received him. It was an invitation. Think of it as an invitation You know, one of the things you notice about people today, if you send out an invitation and you ask for people to RSVP, they will not. Because we're trying to keep our options open because, you know, maybe something better will come along. So we don't want to commit ourselves. But God committed himself And gave us the invitation. The cry of the baby in the manger in Bethlehem is the greatest invitation of all times. To come unto me. Come unto me. And all we have to do is receive it. Receive the gift. Receive the greatest gift that has ever been offered to as many as received him to them he gave the right the privilege 
to become the sons of God. Amen. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful. We're, we're amazed. It is amazing to me. It's beyond my comprehension. The God who needs nothing. The God who is lacking nothing. Reached through eternity into time. And sent the greatest love letter that's ever been given. And in that little manger, that baby cries out for us, come to me. And to receive him as Savior and Lord for eternity. To believe in his name. I believe that there is salvation in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for that. I'm amazed by that. It's glorious and amazing. In Jesus' name, amen.